You're listening to episode number five of Public Ice with your hosts, Chris Rezendis and Dave Kleinberg. Chris, good evening. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank, good, good to be here tonight. It's been a little while. Um, so what are, what are we on, about day 73? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I can't count that high because I, only, I can only count as high as my fingers and toes. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, not not fun, but uh, so we have a special episode tonight. Uh, we have some special guest interviews, um, and uh, with uh, a couple figure skating champions, uh, we have uh, Brad Vigorito and we have Max Aaron. So looking forward to. Uh, tonight's part one of two. We have a lot of good information coming out of those two. So um, yeah, so let's, tell me. Let's, yeah, I was gonna say, let's not forget that Max Aaron was uh, also played hockey at a, a decently high level as a as a young guy. So we cannot forget that. Um, I believe what was he played on? Uh, you know, he went to the development camp. Is that correct? And yes, yes, at the U sixteen so sure, level, I believe. Yeah, so I'm sure until he had an injury. So I'm sure we'll hear more from Max about that. Um, so have, uh, you heard anything funny lately? Yeah. Well, actually I've got something that I'll mention. My, my son brought up to me earlier is, um, one of the things my son does a lot of chirping when he's on the ice. And, uh, one of the things that he likes to throw at goalies, uh, when he actually scores on them, which is sometimes often, sometimes not, um, is hey goalie, uh, you could save a lot more if you just switch to Geico. <laughs> That's not bad. So, no, I thought it was pretty ingenious. Um, it's better than a few years ago when he's like, hey, hey, kid, your shoe's untied. I'm like, yeah, no one's going to pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, chirping is part of the part of the game. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I was always wondering, do figure skaters chirp? That would be interesting. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned earlier um, that that uh, burn. It's called burns, but I was going to say I, I couldn't think of the name earlier. Uh, but my son always says, "Oh, get wrecked." Get that drives wrecked. like it kills me. Get get wrecked like you just got into a car accident. My daughter does the burn. I mean, that's the the thing. She'll say burn. <laughs> so she'll make make fun of me usually and burn. <laughs> gotcha. So I think I think that's what we did also when we were back in twelve year olds. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. As things haven't changed too much since that day. Hey, uh, Dave, actually, one thing I wanted to mention today. Have you seen the movie Valiant? I haven't. Um, okay. And that is, remind me again. It's the, um, it's the episode, or it's the, um, the documentary on uh, the Las Vegas Knights uh, and their inaugural season uh, with the Las Vegas shooting and then also them making it all the way to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Um, it's a documentary on them and how they kind of brought the city together and, and what they intend and what they intended to do and kind of how everything kind of worked out. It was, I, I highly recommend that movie. It was, it was an excellent, uh, excellent, very well put together. Just an excellent story. Well, the fact that we like the same movies usually, um, I'll have to take a look and, uh, yeah, excited to, uh, excited to watch it now. Um, We'll put a link to it in our show notes and also on our on our site. But um, I think that was that was a, a tough season, right? Coming into it with uh, with um, the tragedy in in Vegas, and then um, 
rallying together. Is that pretty much what the movie is about? Yeah, and it's also about just the storyline of of people who were were not safe uh, on their previous teams and and cut in essence, and just how that brought everyone together because they were all of the similar fashion. So it was it was really interesting how that kind of motivated each person together, and they had a lot of like the great thing was is and this is one of the things the coach talked about is their first line could maintain with anyone, their second line would still maintain, but then their third line was like most teams' second lines. And then their fourth line was like most teams' second lines. So those last two lines, they were always coming at you with fresh legs. Um, and it really kind of – it was an interesting concept on the on the youth hockey realm of just rolling the lines. Hmm. So. so basically, instead of having like your fourth line that played six minutes a night – you could have your fourth line that played twelve minutes a night, and all you know, or what have not, and so all of your, uh, all of your your lines are really not getting overused. Completely, and you could actually have your fourth line go up against someone else's first line, and it's still like a first second line. So uh, it was very interesting, just the concept and and everything uh, that gentleman did to put that together the team and everything he everything he did. It was just really interesting. So I highly recommend that. It's valiant, I believe it's on Netflix. Definitely. We'll have to take a look at it, you know, and, and looking at some of the stats, it looks like they had contributions from all their players, which is, which is pretty remarkable. Um, you do have a lot of players with a high, high number of uh, games played that year. Uh, and then, you know, their, their plus minuses, they were pretty remarkable. I, I, the well, lowest plus minus I see is uh, a minus 16. Yeah. Well, you want to know something that was actually even even crazier that I didn't realize is they had so many goalie injuries, they were down to their fourth string goalie and still yep. winning games. Yep. Uh, so they had five goalies uh, play for them. Four yep. started. So, you know, but in the playoffs, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury played all 20 uh, games. Oh, That's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, he's—he I mean, he, was—he was amazing. He definitely kept them in it. So they were just a gritty team. It's just an interesting concept. Great yeah. story. And then um, they keep keep going. I mean, they made the playoffs again. So let's see what they how they're going to do this year um, when you know playoff time. Uh, I don't recall what their uh, schedule is, so we're, I'm gonna have to take a quick look at at what their uh, schedule is for the 2019-2020 schedule. schedule. Um, excellent. So um, the rinks right now. I was wondering, are are they keeping the ice frozen? What what's going on? No, what, most, what I, most, it depends on the rank. I don't know any rank so far that is still maintaining their ice um, because they knew they were going to shut down for 30 days. I will say this. There's a few rinks in New York that maintained open um, and still slid some people in. Uh, well, but for the most like, part, professional players who have an injury are allowed to were allowed to skate. Gotcha. So um, th- this was other other scenarios, so we won't get to. In- I don't want to get anyone in trouble, so we're not going to get too in depth on that. Um, just like we had, we had learned, some other people were actually going up to New Hampshire and states that were open to utilize their ice time. So, but uh, for the most part, uh, everyone has 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 got rid of their ice um, and just uh, just closed up shop. So, but gotcha. have they? Have you come up with a lot of schedules so far for the figure skating for next year? Um, well, I've seen a few things. Um, 
So I think, you know, right now everyone is, is still in flux on what's happening. Cause I think this right now is the, um, is the qualifying season. And so, you know, that's, it's going to definitely have to be delayed. Um, I think they're still trying to figure it out right now. I, I did get a, a letter from the, uh, uh, president of U.S. Figure Skating today. Um, I, you know, if it sounds more prestigious than it is. I'm sure it went out to every member of U.S. Uh, figure <laughs> Skating. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think they're, you know, everyone's waiting until the skaters can get on the ice. But right now, they're still um, trying to identify the protocols for the return to on-ice activities, uh, and then what the standards for disciplines and programs are going to be, and then what the course of action will be for competitions and events. I think, you know, right now they're trying to figure that out in the next three to four weeks and we'll, um, you know, get in touch with folks. I think it's hard for them as they probably don't know the answers. They don't have all the information. Um, yeah. And as you said, if some states open up sooner than others, you know, how does that, how does that make an impact, right? Let's just hypothetically say state A is closed. Yeah. But state B is completely open and if the, is that offer an unfair advantage to those skaters in, in state b well yeah I, I don't know the answers to this and you know but it's i'm sure this is a question yeah i'm sure i'm sure but at the same token it's up to the states i, I kind of look at this as back in the day and this is going to be a weird analogy but um it, it's kind of like the cities who took the non-smoking aspect um drove a lot of business at first they drove a lot of business out to those other markets I think you're going to see something else just similar like that. I, I hate to use up smoking as an example of that, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like anything else. Like I know right now is our team. We, we just found out we're starting the week after labor day. Um, AOHLs have started to put together stuff as well, but um, so we've already got our schedule. Now we're actually opening the season with a round Robin uh, because they're showing they're starting two weeks later than they normally do. So we're starting with a round Robin right off the bat against the top four teams. So I can tell you right now that I know my team is getting closer or is willing to travel to those states that are open just to get ice time so we're ready for that first tournament. So and I could see that happening in other aspects as well. So now, but as far as I know, uh, Massachusetts should be open. It's just going to be a dependency on who's, who's chewing up all the ice and, and who's getting a hold of that because you've got a lot of coaches that are, have just been waiting on the, the sidelines right now. So Let's hope for everybody that uh... – Things are back up in, in the next soon, um, and uh, yeah, the skates. Yeah, I know, I know some of these rinks they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of surfaces to fill. Uh, I know some have one, and then some have how? What is the largest rink right now? Uh, New England Sports Center is the largest rink. Um, second largest is actually the one out in Minnesota, and the um, they have eight full size rinks where uh, New England Sports Center has. Eight full-size rinks and then three um, mini rinks. And uh, I know that they are building or they're working on the, the I think it's a Knightbridge or Kingsbridge uh, in New York. It's going to have, I think, 13. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where it stands right now. I think it's still in, in the process of construction or permitting. Or, well, yeah, I'm not going to not going to speculate where it is right now but i think they're in the process of getting that going that'll be great more ice the merrier bring more kids to the games yeah sport. exactly exactly but, especially uh, it's, it's like comp competition if we can drive the price prices down and just bring more kids to the game yeah absolutely i mean 
you know, ice is expensive. I know if, if you or I go to, to rent an hour of ice, it's, you know, upwards of, uh, you know, 50 or $60. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely like, really, it's about $350. If, I'll just say it's about, <laughs> it's about $165 in mass. And then if you go down to New York, you're looking at 375 to, to 550. So depending. So, so it is a lot of, it is a lot of money. One thing that'll be interesting though, Dave, is I'm curious because uh, we were actually had a discussion with about this earlier with uh, some coaches is um, it'll depend on a lot of this, how the States are going to actually open up. Cause everyone's kind of anticipating next year that um, there may be, uh, there may not be spectators um, actually watching the games. So the, uh, it'll be pro, the pro games or the, even no, the I'm talking the youth, youth sports. Um, so, and they've even talked about that. Cause like uh, Gina Marunt, I, I could never say her name, right? That, in Rhode Island, they're looking at. Oh, the uh, open, Governor, yeah. Governor Gina. Yep. Yes. Yes. Thank Ramondo, you. Yeah. Yeah, Ramondo. Thank you. I always, I don't know why I always put her name, but um, I know she was actually looking initially at only allowing 10 people on the ice at, at a given time. Well, that's not even a full hockey team. So um, there's definitely not going to be parents that are watching as well. So we're hoping that they at least allow 25 or up to 15 plus coaches. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that kind of transpires and how people actually enter the market and, and, and kind of bring that back in. So what will be interesting is you mean there will be no longer have parents yelling skate, skate at their, well, at their kids. I'll take that. Yeah, no, you, listen, that, that happens at a youth at the very low level. Uh, once the kids hit squirt major, that stops uh, because parents start to realize that they can, they have to keep quiet if they want to stay on the team. Yeah. They, uh, I, I love watching the games where the parents are in the warm room upstairs and they're banging on the glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the kid can hear it. <laughs> like the kid, like the kid can hear it and all the other parents just stare, stare, you know, give them the death stare. Yeah. Um, no, they're just passionate people. Listen, passionate uh, about something. Or if they have a cowbell, that's my favorite—a cowbell in a closed room. Yeah, I can tell you a funny that. story about a cowbell. I don't know if I ever told you about Long Island last year or two I years ago. You, I think you told yeah. me. We just have to keep it child friendly. Exactly. Well, the greatest thing I ever saw was there's a girl, uh, one of the goalie moms that were we were dealing with. Um, she was ringing the cowbell. We were winning, I think, seven to zero, and she was ringing the cowbell every time her son made a save, and. Um, I'm going to say this PG, but it was uh, it was great because one of the moms came up and just said, "Hey, if you ring that again, I'm going to shove shove that somewhere the sun doesn't shine." Because <laughs> 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 I was so tired of hearing it myself, I was like, now, "That was awesome." Now, did you cheer? I did. I clapped. <laughs> yeah, I, it is funny because you know I, I always see it at, even at the figure skating competitions, the cowbell. And uh, some, I really have to start taking some pictures next year because I saw some great things this year. So um, people definitely get into it. Uh, it is it is fun. It is exciting. Uh, so now that we're talking about uh, figure skating, um, we want to bring on our special interview with uh, uh, Max Aaron and Brad uh, Vigorito. So I'd like to introduce a couple champions, uh, Brad Vigorito and Max Aaron. Uh, welcome to Public How are you guys doing? Pretty good. How are you? Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for uh, bringing us aboard. Definitely. So I introduced you guys as a couple champions. So I know you both have a um, varied background, um, both in skating and figure skating. Uh, Max, you have the addition of uh, some uh, experience in uh, ice hockey. Yep, yep. Uh, at about uh, 
let's see, 13, 13 years of hockey. So I got some time there. And working on my uh, Canadian accent still, eh? Hey, hey. <laughs> Never ends. So uh, I guess uh, I guess let's start with um, Brad. Why don't we start with you and tell us a little bit? Uh, pick on pick on Brad. Tell <laughs> sure. Us, um, you know, um, I started skating pretty late. Actually, I was eight years old. Um, kind of grew up in the golden age of figure skating, watching the whole Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding scenario play out. Um, we had a Cape House, so in the summer, as all the families would go to the beach. Uh, my parents packed us up and we'd go to the rink because, uh, you know, we like the beach, but it was, we'd rather be in a nice rink. And um, we'd watch Paul Wiley, Nancy Kerrigan train, um, went to my first ice show after her uh, Olympic homecoming and uh, kind of did every sport there was, soccer, baseball, um, t-ball, and uh, started to skate uh, when I was eight years old, um, got lessons around age 11 and I started competing at age 12. Um, so rel- rel- relatively uh, a late bloomer. Um, I didn't get triple jumps till I was in my 20s um, and I competed through sectionals. I was the alternate to the U.S. championships twice um, and I'm a full-time coach at the Skank of Boston. Excellent. So um, you probably have a lot of stories to tell about uh... And Paul and, and Nancy. Yeah, yeah. And um, Paul ended up being my coach for a bit after, so it was pretty cool, pretty full circle. Um, and now um, I also produce figure skating shows on the side, and um, we had Nancy Kerrigan in the show this past winter. So it's uh, it's really cool how it kind of all worked out and came together. Excellent. And Max, I know you have figure skating background as well. Um, and I take it you landed... Uh, they're triples, and I've seen that you've had a couple quads as well, which I don't, I don't even know how you guys can can do, do a triple, let alone a quad. You know, it's a, you know, I don't even know how I did a quad half the time either. You know, I just kind of hope for the, <laughs> the, the best sometimes, to be honest. But uh, no, I got into got into the hockey world first, right? Uh, and I don't know if you knew, but uh, everyone knew. I grew up in Arizona, so you're probably wondering how does an, an Arizona kid get into the the ice rink, right? Well. I uh, got to get out of the heat somehow, right? So uh, big place for a lot of the hockey players ending up down here, uh, obviously because of the golf. So a lot of hockey players migrate down here uh, when the season's over, whether it's early or later in the season. And uh, so I ended up getting into an ice rink right up the street from me and uh, played hockey um, up, until, up until nine. And then I started figure skating. I met a couple hockey players where I got introduced. I knew the owner of the rink down here and I got close and, uh, we were one of the first ones in the rink and met some of the, some of the hockey guys, Theo Fleury, right back in the day, Keith Kachuk, uh, Ronick came down here a lot. And anyway, uh, they told me about, uh, you know, figure skating, you know, cause I, you know, I had someone that told them about, you know, my mom was four foot nine. If you didn't know, my mom is not the tallest lady in the world. And, uh, you know, my height, height wasn't going to be on my side, on my side with, uh, size as well. So, you know, I just got to be a, a smarter, faster hockey player than most. So, started figure skating at nine to help hockey. And I, that was my hockey was my main sport. Uh, played triple a hockey up until 16 ended up breaking my back. That's a long story to get into, but, uh, I ended up, uh, taking a year off with the broken back. And then I decided to, uh, switch to figure skating, move to Colorado Springs, uh, because that was like where the hub was. Uh, and it was like a little team atmosphere, just like I, I needed for hockey. And 
got, that kind of pushed me through it. Uh, I just took my first year up there, got third in juniors at the USA level, and then uh, got sent to uh, Italy, got sent out to China, or Japan, yeah, China, and France. And then winning the junior levels, got sent to Korea for the ju world juniors, got fifth, and then kind of my career started taking off and ended up winning a U.S. title and, uh, you know, Grand Prix title and uh, going to a couple world championships. And fortunately, a couple Olympic uh, uh, team alternate spots, 2014 and 2018. But, uh, you know, definitely no regrets in my, in my, my mind. There's nothing I can give back to the sport. Well, that seems very impressive. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of thinking about. Uh, I'm still thinking about the quad jump, though. <laughs> you have to ask Max about that. Like you know, and the and the thing that I always see because I'm at the rink all the time, and I just wonder. You know, I see my daughter's coach, and she's always skating and flying around the ice and everything, and I just wonder. You know, do you need to continuously practice these jumps? in order to maintain them like you know if if one you know is you, you know has done triples or doubles like at what how often do you have to like you see michael jordan and i just saw a video of michael jordan still was able to dunk the basketball but it's like do you have to maintain the training in order to be able to do these type of jumps absolutely i know brad can speak a little bit to it not you know everyone's different everyone's body's different right but uh you know everyone my favorite question is you know how do you not get dizzy when you're spinning or jumping right you know, it's funny, you know, when you take some time off, you get back on the ice, even though you're, you know, you got years of experience, boy, if you, if you take time off and you get back out there and try to do a triple or a spin, you get so, so dizzy. It's unbelievable. So hard. You know, so it's like an everyday occurrence, right? When you're shooting free throws, obviously, you know, it becomes like riding a bike. It's, you know, it's not as difficult, right? You have your tough and easy days, but you got to practice that every single day. You know, it's day in, day out. You got to grind it away and it becomes natural. And the whole point, you know, when people ask you like, man, you make it look so easy. Well, Funny because that's what the sport's judged on is making it look easy, right? And so if it looks like, you know, labored and effort, you know, like it's been a difficult task, you know, yeah. that goes into the score of figure skating. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a compliment when you hear that. You're like, oh, you made it look so easy and effortlessly. Well, that's the point, right? You know, yeah, it's hard, but the whole point is to make it look easy. Yeah, you can't make the judges think it's hard. <laughs> they want to watch. They want to be entertained. The audiences want to. They don't want to be on their edge of the seat, like help this person land on their head or something, because that means they're, you know, not doing it correct. I think the hard thing about skating is getting back to you said about practicing is there's really no off season. Uh, it's 12 months of the year and kind of during, we would usually compete, well, our, you know, season kind of starts in the summer. Um, and then if you make it through the U.S. championships, that's January, if you're lucky to go on to Worlds is in March. So there's really no rest because as soon as the worlds are done, you're working on new elements, you're working on new jumps, you're working on new programs. So it's a 12-month sport. Uh, most, I mean, Max can talk more about this, but at the Olympic level, it's at least three to four hours a day, probably five days a week. So how does that, so Chris, now from the hockey perspective, so that's 15 hours a week minimum, Brad, that I'm taking, but probably. I would say on the ice, not to mention what goes off the ice. So Chris, which is just as important. And that's for like a young kid, uh, or is that for like a national champion? Uh, if you want to go on the road to nationals, yeah. So what you're saying, Brad, is you don't recommend your six-year-old to do that that much work yet? No, 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 no. I mean, you have to wait for the bodies to be developed and uh, when their strength comes in and. Obviously, you have to be very smart about your body because that's our instrument, and uh, you can't overtrain it, you can't undertrain it. Um, but 
Um, if you're up to the level of triple jumps, it's easily three hours a day on the ice plus an hour off the ice. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's tough ahead, too, there. you know, with the, the younger kids, right? You got to learn how to keep it fun. That's the, that's probably the toughest part, right? You want to keep them engaged. You want to keep it fun. But at the same time, you want to teach them what a discipline is, what a work ethic looks like, right? So it's like a tough, tough, happy medium, right? You know, you want to make sure, you know, I, I, I help coach um, here and I do a lot of guest coaching around the United States and, and, and the world and a lot of guest speaking. And that's the biggest thing is what I'm talking to. You, obviously, as you, as you become an elite athlete or you have an older, you know, once you get to 10, 11, you get to see, you know, what kind of drive an athlete wants to do or, or what kind of athlete they want to be. And you give them a real talk, right? I'm always about being open and honest with a lot of these athletes is like, you know, where do you see yourself? And what do you think it really takes to be a, uh, you know, a U.S. champion, a world champion, Olympic champion, right? And then I give them a little, you know, taste of what it's going to look like and what kind of sacrifices, but I really call them uh, choices, not sacrifices because you're choosing to, you know, skip that party. You're choosing to, you know, do an extra, you know, hour in the gym. You're choosing to eat appropriately, right? But, you know, with that young age, when you start at three years old, you got to have fun. But at the same time, you got to learn skills because at, at that young age, that's why, you know, learning a, a, a language or multiple languages at a young age is, is so much easier, right? Your brain's developing. If you create that, that habit of that great muscle memory of perfect technique, right? Just as you get older, it makes it a heck of a lot easier, right? But it's like, how do you influence that into a younger child, right? Or into your kid, right? And how do you keep it fun like that? And that's the biggest question, right? And everyone's going to, you know, get that answer differently. But you got to put that in there somehow. You got to have fun and you got to have a, you know, a good balance between working hard and, and, and enjoying the, the process along the way, right? Yep. No, I completely agree. Now, Max actually brings up a great question is um, what would you recommend? Like my son, for instance, is a, he's a passionate hockey player. He's actually having those conversations and, and doing off ice and, and working out all the time right now. Um, but he's been approached to actually figure skate. Now, what would you advise someone who's, because um, he's a very natural skater. Like he just has, he's, he's very balanced. Um, but what would you advise someone if they were a current hockey player and they were considering figure skating as well? Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, big, big thing for that. I love that question. Okay. I am a big multi-sport athlete fan. Okay. I love to see and I hear about an athlete that does five sports when they're young, right? You got to learn, you got to learn, you got to learn the athletic ability, the athletic mindset. You got to pick up different skills, right? A lot of the top athletes, because I loved, I lived at the Olympic Training Center. I knew the top uh, athletes in, in uh, wrestling and triathlon, modern pentathlon, you name it, I got to meet them. And I loved asking questions. And I wish I had a, the, the, th- the thought of interviewing these athletes along the way. And uh, again, I'm big into learning from others, right? Obviously, you learn from yourself, but you learn from others. And I learn from their mistakes, right? And the biggest thing, and, and I, I love listening to other athletes, and all of them have a background of, I did six sports growing up, and all of a sudden, I started excelling one. And, and by doing multiple other sports and having more of a kinetic chain and more of a, uh, a sensibility of balance, more of a sensibility of eye awareness and, and coordination, I became better at my sport because of all that, that you taught yourself at a young age, right? You want to learn and grow the body, right? And obviously, the biggest thing, and I wish I had it, uh, was obviously I go back to it every single time, is size. And I don't want anyone to say, you know, that's, you know, my biggest thing, I used to bring it up, and I'm not saying it's a disadvantage, but I'm saying, when you look at the common Olympic athlete or the, the Olympic or the athlete, top athlete in hockey, volleyball, whatever it's going to be, and obviously I picked bigger sports, but you can name it. Besides gymnastics and the smaller wrestling guys and gals and Olympic weightlifting, or, uh, yeah, Olympic weightlifting is, you know, a lot of those athletes have big bodies, 
you know, you look at these top athletes, these top, top athletes, they got big bodies. They got the span, the wingspan, they got the height, they got the size, right? And they learned, they developed their bodies by doing a different, a lot of different sports, whether it's from baseball to football, to soccer, to uh, volleyball, to, you know, you name it. And they just develop it. So going back to your question, yeah, I'm a big believer at a young age to do as many sports as possible. Throw your kid out there. I don't even care if it's ballet. Heck, do ballet class. Get that body awareness. Get, there, get Challenge your kid to do this, do that, do that. And it gets the social awareness. Get that body awareness moving, right? And then if you're lucky enough to have the genetic ability, and obviously you can't change the genetic genes, not to my knowledge. If it did, I would have definitely done it back, back in the day <laughs> to make myself a six-foot-five body on a big frame, right? Um, I'm with but, you. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm telling you, that was like my biggest dream. I wanted to be uh, a six, I always said six foot eight monster. Six of a eight. Man. Just a the big Hulk. man. I, I, I know I had that, I had that mindset I always said, and a lot of, when I was getting scouted in hockey, they said, I, you know, your mindset, your, your, your awareness on the ice, your, your speed across the ice is amazing. But if you just had the size, your game would go, you know, light years beyond what these kids are doing right now at your at your level and i just you know there's nothing more i could have done i tried everything i could and again that's why i have no regrets in the sport i tried it all i watched i watched film and hockey you know i took you know more stick handling lessons you know whatever it is i you name it i tried it i did whatever i can but you can't teach size and it's very true and I, i'll probably know now this podcast is going to go out and they're going to be like that's such a bunch of baloney but it's very true i think because you know, if you get a big body, right? Take two people. And I know hopefully we're not going too far off topic here, guys. But there take is. a big body. And uh, you take a big body, take the same talent level in two guys, right? And let's pick the same. Let's stick with hockey, right? You got a guy six foot three, you know, big man, 225, 230. He's got the same speed as a guy that's five foot eight. You got the same like, hockey IQ, the same stick handling skill. Which guy do you want on the ice? You got to pick the big guy, right? You want to take the guy that has the size, the body, the same, same skill level. And that's what we're talking here. And that's what I'm assuming, right? Yep. Everything. But you got to have size. And, and you go back to Olympic athletes. I was very fortunate enough to be at that Olympic training site. And you'd see it. The women, five foot nine. That's the average height, five nine, five ten. And there was no, not a lot of girls that were, that were at least my size. Again, five seven on a real good day. You know, feeling tall. Got the bones stretched out. But, uh, you know, having that, that, that smaller frame, you know, obviously there's some good things to it. But don't get me wrong. But a lot of that, a lot of the, the big time athletes, if you get a big person with a big body to get moving and start training seriously, um, light, light years ahead. Yeah, maybe at a younger age because they got that, that gangly feeling. They're tall at a younger age, but they, they're getting that awareness. But if you get that, that spark in them and, and keep training and pushing them, because obviously the younger, younger, smaller people are obviously going to be more excelled because they got that smaller, compact body at a younger age. But if you, if you get that bigger kid, dangly kid, or know that they're going to have a great, uh, you know, a growth spurt and, and you teach them, you know, that training ethic, that, that mindset. Yeah. They'll get beaten in the, in, the, in the short run, but down the line, you get that big body training, like a smaller person with that same mindset. Boom. That kid's going to be destined for greatness. I don't care what it is. This is starting to sound like, I don't know if you guys have read outliers. Uh, no, definitely. You know, we can post a link to it. It's, it's, uh, um, it, it really, it actually discusses even hockey has a, as a, uh, item in there. And it's, um, there's one piece where they're talking about um, uh, just calling the plays by the birth year. So January passes to March, who passes to February. And the author, um, Malcolm Gladwell, was identifying kids were picked solely based on birth month. 
It had really? nothing to do with their skill level. But uh, and Chris, you probably know more about this than I do at this point. But like December yeah. is better than a December or something like that. Well, yeah, no. In a, in a hockey community, in hockey, what they've they've realized is actually one of the things. This 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 equalizes as the kids get older, and, and Max, you can probably attest to this. But um, for top teams at youth youth programs, they they're looking for January birthdays because they develop faster. Um, like my son has a May birthday, and um, and you could see this at the the might level. Like he was a very good skater, but he wasn't developed as like he didn't understand the portions of the game that someone who was five months older at a young age did. But that starts to equalize about bantam, uh, right? Right, or even 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 peewee, Chris. Yes, that's the thing. Yes. And you get these kids that are developing at a younger age, right? And all of a sudden, they just become monsters. I remember we again. I think we were peewee AAA. It started to take into effect. I think I was the second year, um, and uh, we had some guys obviously developing on that team. Uh, we were very good at that year as well, and uh, we had kids with full beards. <laughs> you know, it was kind of exactly. strange. I had, a, I, had yep. a, I had a teammate that was losing his hair at, uh, at that age. And they're like, check yep. his birth year. We had, a, we had to go. They, they made us go check his, his birth certificate to see if he was actually his age. Because, like, he looks like a father, you know. And, and I yep. love the kid now. We're still all close. But, you know, he's obviously he's bald now at the age of 27, 28. Great. Uh, he, he, bald, <laughs> yeah, he, he bald and actually lost all of his hair at 20. But he was a, a big performer back in the day. You know, a child, a man among children. We should take yeah. a look at, at your national team, uh, Max, and take a look at the birth months. I guarantee you there's a lot that are January and February. Oh, yeah. Well, it's no. because it, ahead, it's based off the conference level. And, and that's the whole thing is you're, if you're that January birthday and you do have to happen to be a bigger kid or size, like Max mentions, then you're going to have more confidence because you were always chosen. Um, but there's a lot of flaws in that philosophy. And I'm going to use a, a famous name that we all know is Marty St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So um, we can use, like there's there's a number of those guys who 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 break that mold. It's a very generalized mold, but I agree with it, uh, Dave, to a certain degree. But go ahead, Max. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. A lot of the guys that were getting the playing time or the the the, the big showers on the team were the the you know the, the earlier birth years, right? And obviously, you got a you got a kid, in, you know, later in the year or uh, played off. I played off. Uh, I practiced with the U18 AAA team, um, and obviously, I was a, I was 15. And obviously I played off, but there was, you know, playing with them was, that, you know, those guys, those boys, I'm telling you, we, half that team played, uh, you know, for NCAA, uh, double-A hockey, a division one team, half, at least half of those kids, if not uh, um, three quarters of the team, you know? And so again, it was just more about learning, right? And I take that skill level back down to what I'm doing and, you know, and the game looked like it was half speed when you take U, U18 triple-A hockey, go back to U, U16 triple-A hockey, right? It's like, boom, that's half speed. And then you have more time with the puck. You're realizing exactly, but, uh, you know, but going back to Marty St. Laurie, that was the biggest thing when I was playing. And I got, uh, you know, I look at some of those forums because you obviously you got to Google your name every once in a while. I don't know if you know, guys know Nate Gerby, you know, he's not yeah. the biggest guy. So I was modeling, they were modeling me after Nate Gerby when I was playing. Uh, I was my big, my big show stopping moment was uh, up in the Burnaby tournament. And after I had that, I made the, the, the all-star team got named to the conference and uh, I was going to go in the dub. Uh, I was thinking about it, but I wanted to play uh, uh, NCAA hockey. And uh, Nate Gerby, they were they were modeling me after Nate Gerby. He was a smaller player, just a uh, just a gritty kid. And uh, yeah. that's that that was going to be you know that was going to be me out there. But uh, end up choosing a different route. End up breaking my back, obviously. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, you know having that training that 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 bigger size kid to be you know had that tenacity and not every, not everything given. Make sure just because he's a bigger kid, he can push a kid around, right? If he can set yeah. that young, that little guy mindset and a big body, kids going to be, uh, you know, 
down for greatness. That was just it. That's that's the key there is 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 getting that big guy with a little little mindset. It's because that little mindset that, that drive to succeed because everyone's told you that you're too small to to do it. Um, right, finding right. that. It, yeah, it's it's like it's it's like that again. Like you said, it, it's like taking a you know, like I said, if if they had my mindset being my my size, but putting in a, you know the kid that's six foot two on that you know major triple A hockey team or or the Bantam hockey team or Pee Wee hockey team and kept that drive. But the biggest thing is that, you know, what I realize is that sometimes we, we praise the big kids a little too much, right? And they, they get a little lackadaisical and all of a sudden that talent just goes to waste. And I hate, I, that was my biggest pet peeve is when I got in the gym, especially at the Olympic level. And I seen a big body go to waste. I see a big kid or a big athlete with a big body eating poorly and not doing whatever they can to train. I'm like, man, if I just had your size and body, you know, it's all because it's all about levers, right? Levers and mechanics, yep. a lot of this stuff, right? You got the, you know, just given a better, a better lever, right? You got a better stride. You can get more height, create more centrifugal force, right? You got more body to throw around, right? And I probably have a lot of people that will disagree with me, obviously, because I've never been a big person, right? So I never played yeah. with a big, I can only imagine. And then they could probably say, say the same thing about being a smaller person. But, you know, I just think having a big body, there's a reason why, you know, the majority of the Olympic, uh, Olympic team or uh, just an elite athlete is much, is a much bigger athlete in general. So I'm going to throw in some controversy here. So, um, you, you mentioned in hockey, you played up, Yep. which is great. And, you know, I know a lot of people, they play up now in skating. Do you play up or do you play down and and figure skating? Brad or, or, or Max, like, uh, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, um, skaters not necessarily testing or going, you know, I've always described Chris, the test levels and all that stuff. And, you know, you move, you move up to different rankings, you know, by going for your juvenile or your intermediate and novice. I mean, these are tests that you have to do for, you know, for the, for the non skating folks, it's, you know, it's basically in a pat from a panel of judges, you dress up, you, you, uh, you know, basically do everything from a program or to specific, um, patterns that you need to do um but once you pass that level you can't skate at the level you're at anymore so you may go from what i've heard you may go into a ranking that you're not able to compete at so i don't know if you want to touch that controversy or (laughs) how that goes um well i think there's two when you're kind of raising an athlete there's kind of two philosophies if you think long-term development or short term um, and I mean, there, it's been known to be called sandbaggers. You know, if you have a kid who has all their triples and intermediate, yeah, they're going to be the intermediate national champion, but what's that going to do further along? Um, for me, I always think it's like long-term development. I think, um, you can get lazy if you're in a category where you're not pushed, um, you can get complacent. And I think, you know, studies have shown, and I know like I've seen that sometimes it's not the most talented person that, you know, ends up there in the long run or wins a race, you know, um, it's kind of a marathon, not a sprint. And I think if you're consistently working harder to get, you know, to be in the top rather than you're just there because the other people don't have the skills. Um, I think long-term it's not as good. Um, I remember, you know, Michelle Kwan is the most decorated figure skater of all time. Um, she took her senior test when her coach left town, um, because she went and she was like 12 and she would have been the junior national champion. Um, but she wanted to be in seniors and she wanted to be pushed and she was looking at the Olympic cycle and she wanted a year 
under her belt as a senior before the Olympics, rather than going in as, as your junior national champion and debuting at senior the year of the Olympic trials. Um, so I think it's kind of just the mindset of if you want the short-term victory or the long-term uh, projection of working hard and, you know, working, you know, being pushed. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll step in real quick. That's, that's a, that's a really tough question, you know, and, uh, you can argue that. And I'm just going to say this and, uh, how many, and I, we can go back and look, you got to go back and look at the history of the sport and, uh, how many juvenile champions. So juvenile is a level, right. And you can start, uh, there was a junior under, junior under 13 junior, right. uh, juveniles under 13. Yeah. And you go back and look how many juvenile champions or intermediate champions became and went on to be a U.S. champion Mm-hmm. or a world champion or a world team member or an Olympic champion, right? Not too many, right? Not and, a lot. And, and you start to realize, yeah, it's good. You got to find that, that balance of like, how do I keep the confidence in, in keeping the kid mm-hmm. motivated, right? Versus how can I progress them to get up to the higher level, right? Because if you said, Max, you can be a, a juvenile, intermediate, novice, junior champion, but you'll never become a, a U.S. medalist. And I'll be like, forget that. I would learn and develop through the levels, juvenile, intermediate, novice, junior, and to become a U.S. champion or multi-time uh, U.S. medalist, right? Because you want to spend those times. And sometimes I see some kids that just are like just stellar and juvenile, intermediate, novice. Then you never hear from them ever again because once they start getting up into the higher level, right, the higher echelon and the competition is getting tougher, but all of a sudden they're just used to just constantly winning. And all of a sudden you throw them in there and there's better kids and they're just getting pummeled. And they just can't handle the pressure. They can't. They hate getting beat. Well, that just kills a kid's confidence. But if they learn at a younger age, hey, it's not going to be easy. And no one's going to give you anything. And yeah, you get some wins here and there. But you learn how to compete. And it's all about learning how to compete. And all of a sudden, you get to the U.S. Championship. You learn how to compete. And you love the, the atmosphere of being under pressure. Mm-hmm. You love seeing kids that are more talented than you. Then, you know, that's, that's where you want to see a kid. Uh, really grow from there but if they're if you're just giving them something right it's like having given a kid constantly just hey here's an allowance for not doing anything well right they're gonna be used to that and all of a sudden when they have to go work you know at a, at a restaurant you're like hey go find a job and learn how to work right and all of a sudden they got to work for money right and they're realizing hey that's a lot of extra work that's not fun my friends are hanging out right now it's not they're not giving something right that's the biggest thing is learning how to do that right by get, keeping the kid confident and, and and wanting them to be you know inspired and to be pushed uh, that's always just a, a tough balance to find, right? And that's like in anything in general in life, you can relate to anything. Mm-hmm. So no, it's Matt, also. Nice. Oh, I was going to say, go ahead, Brad. Sorry about that. Oh, well, uh, um, it's also funny. Um, this year was the first year in uh, years that U.S. figure skating changed it. So juvenile, intermediate, and novice don't even go to nationals anymore. Um, they do a, a different track and they'll go through their sectionals or they'll have their um, sectional final. And that's it. Whereas before you'd have a, a national juvenile intermediate and novice champion. And now there's only junior and senior. So, I mean, there's, we don't really know why, but you know, it could be based on theories that, you know, to get the kids up to junior, get them to senior, who knows. Um, but that was a change we had this past year. Take some of the fun out of it though. I'm sure some of the, the kids really look. Yeah. I mean, I, I compete at junior nationals. I know oh, actually Max and I were at the same junior nationals in uh where was that new york um yeah jamestown new york and let me tell you it was there was it was only uh for juveniles and intermediates i mean you felt like a king that week there were banners all over this you know city and 
for me, it was like you got kind of a taste of what it's like to be a national event and you want to go back more and more. So I don't know what the long-term effects of not sending these kids to nationals now is. Um, we'll have to see. And I know. Well, it looks like it's just going to start to turn. And, you know, I got to play both sides of this, uh, this mm-hmm. one, right? And hopefully people don't get too mad at, uh, when I say this, but it just shows that long-term development, right? They want to see the kids develop, right? And, you know, if we keep giving them praise at a younger age and focusing on winning a juvenile medal, yeah, great, you know, for the short term. But long-term, the goal is to be a U.S. champion or compete, you know, with the Russians, the Japanese, right? So if we start, you know, pushing them, saying, hey, great season, you know, you win a medal at a, at a sectionals, and we're not making a big hype about it, but saying, hey, that was really great. Let's speed this up. Let's make this and speed it up to get to the senior level, right? How can we develop? You know, it's all, in my opinion, in my eyes, it's about developing. At the same time, you know, like Brad said, hey, I loved going to a juvenile junior nationals. I felt like really cool. It wasn't obviously the nationals, but I got to feel like I got to, you know, travel somewhere. They had this, the, the yep. signage everywhere. The seminars. Yeah. Yeah. They got to, you know, you got to feel that Sleep experience. Sleep seminars. And, yeah. Yep. You felt important and you felt like you were part of a team. So I see both yeah. sides of it, but it's all how you interpret it to the child. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and your understanding of that. So hopefully everyone takes the positive aspect, you know, from that saying, hey, let's develop it. Let's get to a ju- junior and a senior level quicker. Let's develop the jumps. Let's develop uh, everything about the sport of skating. And then we'll get there. And then you get rewarded on the bigger stage, right? So it's hopefully everyone takes it that way. And, and that was my interpretation right. of seeing that. And I love seeing that. And obviously you don't want to push it too hard because you don't want to see kids get hurt. But uh, you want to show them that, you know, the juvenile and intermediate levels are important. But really, ultimately, goal should be to become, you know, a Olympian or a U.S. champion or something along those lines. And if you want to, and if you don't, that's why they have those, you know, that, I think it's called that test track, right? And you can yeah. go that way. And I think it's great because not everyone's going to become Excel. or want yeah. to become a U.S. champion or become on the U.S. Mm-hmm. team. And I think that's great because, you know, I feel like, obviously, you know, obviously, I would love to see everyone as a champion, but they have two different directions. And a lot of people like to do it as recreational want to have fun and still compete right. and don't want to compete against those ones that are, you know, training, you know, three, four hours a day, right. The one, maybe, right. maybe someone skates two, uh, you know, three hours a week, but still wants to compete because they love the sport in general. And I love the idea of having those two different tracks. And sometimes families don't have the means too. Yeah, so it's an expensive sport. It gives kind of a place for everyone in the sport, which I think is mm-hmm. fantastic. Absolutely. I know what I spend on hockey and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, so it's an expensive sport. Well, that was great. Uh, so from a you know part one of two, so I'm excited about uh, the next uh, episode and see what uh, more exciting adventures Max and Brad have for us. Exactly. Yeah, part one was exciting, um, especially in part two when we start talking about some of the transitional periods in their lives, which will be great. Excellent. So. I guess we'll end uh, the uh, episode around now. And as always, please send your comments to info at publicice.com. And we'll put some of the show notes uh, and uh, any comments that you have. If you um, like the podcast, you can't stand the podcast, you have suggestions, uh, emails are great. If you have any questions, we're happy to research anything um within reason <laughs> and um we have a lot of contacts around so we'll find out uh find the answers to your questions exactly so um please again reach out to the, the email address that uh, david mentioned a second ago and uh we look forward to you listening to our next episode uh, my name's chris 
My name's Dave. See you on the ice.